I was surprised to learn that rhubarb had originated in China. The country didn't have a tradition of rhubarb pies or jam, nor did the plant ever make it to the table. It was confined to the drawers of Chinese medicine doctors, who dried and boiled it in potions to loosen their patients' bowels. As rhubarb went west, Central Asians began chewing it raw, and Persians folded it into savory stews. Italians made bitter aperitifs with rhubarb, and Marco Polo valued the plant enough to list it in his will. Only after it was introduced to the English did it meet up with sugar and went its way into sweets. The plant was in such high demand in 19th-century England that a powerful Qing Dynasty official proposed a rhubarb embargo against Queen Victoria, hoping to bring a constipated nation to the bargaining table during the Opium War. Little did he know that English bowels no longer depended on China's rhubarb; the British had already cultivated it in their own backyards. That's Jen Liu, a Chengdu-based chef. Cooking school owner and writer of a book called On the Noodle Road. A few several years ago, when Jen discovered that Italian fettuccine and northern Shanghai noodles were made in the same way, she was seized by curiosity. She wanted to discover the connection between Italian pasta and Chinese noodles. So she decided to embark on an overland journey from China to Italy, cooking in many different countries and regions along the way, and talking to people as she did so. So that's what we'll do today. We'll take our own little journey down the Noodle Road. Asian threads. Asian threads. Spinning the tales of Asian communities and cultures, their personal accounts, their history, and their literature. Asian threads. This program is sponsored by the Wing Foundation. Long after she got married, Jen was vacationing in Italy. It was there that she asked herself a very basic question: Where do noodles come from? The impetus of that began when I、uh, was in Italy one for a vacation, not long after I got married, and realized that the method for making Italian fettuccine is exactly the same as、uh, Northern-style Chinese noodles. So, where did noodles come from? <laughs> That's a good question.、Um, so, through my research and through my travels,、um, I was able to、uh, find some sources of information. The earliest mention of noodles I found in historical documents was from the third century AD. In China, a dish、uh, that describes noodles is appears in a dictionary, in a third century Chinese dictionary. And in that dictionary, they're described as soup bread. Actually, the word for noodles didn't exist. The word for noodles is mian in Chinese,、um, and that word didn't appear until several centuries later. So, actually, the tradition of of noodles in China began with the tradition of bread,、um, something you don't necessarily associate with Chinese food,、um, especially southern Chinese food. But in northern China, bread. Um, grilled, steamed,、um, is very, very common, and has been for 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 many many centuries. And so, 
the theory is that a chef one day took a hunk of dough, a bread dough, and started breaking it into little bits and uh, throwing it into a wok of boiling water and cooking them. So that's where noodles came from, from, from the Chinese tradition of bread. That kind of noodle still exists in China, uh, mostly in northern, northwestern China. It's a dish called mian pian. You know, from a Western point of view, a lot of people don't think of that as a noodle because it's not long and skinny. But noodles in both um, Chinese culture and pasta in Italian culture are, are not defined by their shape. Mm. Um, it's defined by the substance, which is um, which needs to be wheat. Which needs that's, to be wheat. Yeah, that's the requirement. Okay, so then yeah. what about things like egg noodles? and? Well, egg noodles do have a wheat base, um, but for example, something like rice noodles would not be considered noodles in Chinese culture. What are um, they considered? They're considered a rice product. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, glass noodles are not noodles. Um, they're not called mian. They're called, in, in Mandarin, they're called fensi. Which means, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of a pulverized uh, strips, basically. Oh. Rice noodles are called hufen or um, mishen, and none, neither of those are are mian. And why is there this big distinction? I mean, to us, the outsiders. Noodles are noodles. It doesn't really matter. I think because noodles came in the West, uh, you know, in in sort of Anglo um, American culture, came later. Um, noodles were not a huge, were not a staple, and so there's there's always been kind of a miss a difference in our definition of what noodles are. Hmm. Okay. I mean, do you think of ravioli as noodles or pasta as pasta? That's an interest, interesting question. I think of it as pasta, but not noodle. <laughs> in, in Italian culture, they would be considered pasta, right? In pasta, noodles um, in Chinese culture just don't have to be long and skinny. They can be. They can take all kinds of shapes and do take all kinds of shapes. Um, I saw uh, noodles on my journey that were little squares like postage stamps. I saw them that uh, they look like cat's ears. They look like, um, you know, tortellini, wontons. Wontons are a type of noodle. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Wontons. So I think of those more like along the line of dumplings. Well, dumplings are a kind of noodle. Dumplings are kind of noodles. Okay. <laughs> I asked Jen to describe in some detail where exactly she had traveled along her noodle journey. So I started in Beijing, which I um, have lived in for many years and where my uh, cooking school, Black Sesame Kitchen, is based. Um, and then I uh, went on through northern, northwestern China, through places like Xi'an, through Lanzhou, which is famous for its hand-pulled beef noodles. I went through um, Tibetan areas, not not the Tibetan um, autonomous zone per se, but the Tibetan areas of Qinghai province, um, Xinjiang. Um, I went through the Central Asian countries of Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan, through Iran, through um, Turkey, and then eventually I took a boat from Turkey to Greece to Italy. And what did you find in some of these places? Uh, well, there were connections in all of the food all along the journey. You know, noodles appear, of course, in full force in China. And then they start to fade a little bit through Central Asia, although they do have a tradition of making fresh 
uh, noodles, very similar to the hand pulled noodles of of northern China. And I saw uh, various dumpling dishes that were also very similar. Similar and, to hand-pulled? Uh, similar to, um, to Chinese dumplings, Chinese jiaozi. Uh, I guess in <laughs> Cantonese, they'd be something like um, uh, hagao or, you know, th- those types of dumplings. Through Central Asia, rice becomes more prominent. They have a lot of rice pilaf dishes. Through Iran, that's a very big tradition in northern and in, in, in Iran itself. The tradition of freshly made noodles sort of disappears in Iran, although um, they did have that um, history of, of noodles in Iran. They did? Oh, yes, yes. Um, going back quite uh, uh, far to the 11th, 12th century, noodles were actually more common than rice. Um, what happened? Well, you know, different food trends um, come and go. I mean, it's similar to, you know, in Hong Kong right now, you have a big ramen <laughs> uh, trend going on. And um, some people, you know, just take catch on to a dish and, and, and latch on to it. And then, some, and then sometimes it fades away. So one of the lessons I learned from my journey was that what people are eating today is not necessarily what they've eaten forever. Hmm. You know, that those trends really change over time. In the Iranian research I did, I found a poem by uh, a 14th or 15th century poet who describes this battle between noodles and rice. And, And saffron rice ends up winning over noodles and that was kind of this uh the the period when rice overtakes um uh noodles as as a as a staple in Iranian culture. A lot of it is also reflective of what's going on in the royal families at the time. You know, they kind of set the tone for what is what are the most prominent dishes, the dishes that you would serve to guests. And then in Turkey of course, rice and, and noodles are actually both quite popular. Um, there's a dish in Turkey called a riste, which is little bits of noodles. Uh, and bits then they, of noodles, as in yeah, noodles chopped up? Or? Yeah, chopped up noodles, basically. Um, oftentimes they're, they're dried and s- sold in supermarkets. Um, sometimes they're made from scratch in villages. And then also a dish uh, called manti, um, which is little tiny uh, tortellini filled with beef. Um, you know, just these tiny little dumplings that are shaped just like tortellini. And um, cooked and tossed with um, yogurt and butter sauce with mint, paprika, garlic, and they're absolutely delicious. And then I saw, you know, the, of course, the tortellini of, Iran- of Italy, which um, kind of connects all of those various dumplings all the way from China to Italy. Dumplings, bread, 
How did this family of food then actually get from China to Italy? I think a lot of it just takes place over generations. Um, uh, the Marco Polo story I discovered was not true.、Um, there's this、uh, notion that he brought noodles from China to Italy on his journeys through East Asia.、Uh, well, it turns out that that's a myth, and that the likely origin of that story is、um, a 1929. Uh, journal in, it, in the United States that was called、uh, the Macaroni Journal, actually, <laughs> and it was、um, a publication of the Pasta Trade Association, meant to spur the consumption of、uh, spaghetti macaroni at that time in America. Back then, you know, dried pastas were not very common in in American culture. They were eaten probably amongst Italian American communities, but not so, so widespread as they are today. So、um, it was just a clever story、uh, made up by this trade publication to、um, get Americans to eat more pasta. Kind of like、uh, pizza in, invented in New Jersey or whatever that was. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, actually, the Chinese have a story about how、uh, pizza was actually invented in China. Oh yes, they they like to tell the story. The Chinese invented pizza. Well, they have a dish called baozi, which is steamed buns. And、um, Marco Polo came and tried that dish, and he couldn't remember how to fold the balza correctly when he got back to Italy, and so、um, it, the Italians ended up with something quite second-rate pizza, flat. <laughs> <laughs> Skeptical at first about this idea of the Marco Polo story because that really is the one that everybody knows of and believes in. So I took a trip down to Divino Patio, an Italian restaurant here in Hong Kong, to talk with the operations manager Marco Di Giacomo and Jerry, their sous chef. I found that they both 100% agreed with Jen when it came to debunking the Marco Polo theory. Even the Italians would agree now because、yeah. even though, if you actually read the book,、uh, Marco Polo refers to something he saw, maybe if he did come, as looks like pasta. That means that he already knew what pasta was from Italy. If you narrate and say, "Oh, it seems to be some kind of pasta," and you, we have,、uh, you know, even in Italy, they have dated text and everything like that, and history saying they had even the Roman and Greek Roman empires in before Jesus Christ. Then pasta was around the whole Mediterranean, based even before he went there. The Chinese don't make pasta; they make noodles from a different kind of、uh, flour and preparation. Italians, we make pasta from hard durum wheat, which come from a different area. But the thing is, what we both agree is that in China and in Italy. There was already pasta before. We they can go up to four thousand、okay. years, and we can go up to three three centuries even before Christ. So that's another two thousand five hundred at least of having pasta in Italy. It was most probably propagated through、um, the Mediterranean base and all Europe by the Greek Roman Empire. There's already history to state that、uh, Greeks, Italians, Romans were using pasta a long time. Or lasagna seeds a long time before we even Mark even went to 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 China, whatever. Is this is a very funny story because it's a long, 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 long history. For so many, so many years before we can see、uh, the okay, I think in all over the world we have wheat, right? We have that grain. 
So we, we, with that grain, salt, we can make the pasta or we can make the noodle. Uh, just like in, in China, right, the northern part of the China, you can see so many noodles, dumpling, everything. They make with wheat. But in Italy, they make spaghetti, especially spaghetti. They use the durum wheat, the hard one. It is very unique, especially in Sicily, right? Yes. Basically, yeah, you're right. Mm. Sicily for the Roman and Greek Roman Empire was the depository uh, base of all the grains. Mm. Okay, and it was their farming uh, area. That's also where the Roman Empire used to, you know, maintain the control as well over the Mediterranean base because it used to promise rations of grain, wheat, pasta, and flour to everybody. I mean, if you control the stomachs of a population, you will control the the. The population at the end of the day, the same, the same is as today. The technique of having we call what you the modern day lasagna comes from Lagana, which is 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 where they've been making it for thousands of years. No, and it, it used to be like a thin sheet of pasta, and they used to make it flavorable with uh, herbs and spices on top, mm. and eat it. The reason why it went around the world so quickly, the Romans were conquering. They needed a stable, easy food to take with them as well. So this is one of the reasons why you, you will find it nearly everywhere. Now we can also say who invented, you can go to Germany, Hungarian, they have spetzels, they have dumplings, which is a kind of pasta. You can even go down to India, Arab nations, they have their own pastas and they're, they're kind of uh, pastas. So where did it come from? If the Chinese did invent it, and the more northern Chinese is more the northern Chinese culture, then I doubt it would have come down all the way south to the other than up to the other side. It would have been more quickly to go through Russia. They also have spetzels, pasta, anything like that in their dietary supplements because it's a poor people's food. You also go back to poor people's food. So the, basically, if you were poor, you would, have, you would have had some kind of pasta anyway. And it doesn't matter when, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. Everybody knew what uh, grains were, knew what flour, and knew how to make it into a flour or a bread or a or, or what you call just water and flour make something out of it. Yes, like a you seed, just, like a like pasta. Like a seed or a pasta. Yeah, you yes. would just leave it on a stone to dry, mm. you would have pasta. Another theory is that the Arabs actually brought noodles to China way before Marco Polo. None of my guests could actually agree with this or verify this, but Jen did have one other interesting theory about Genghis Khan. So, you know, the, the, this, the story about Marco Polo was very clever, right? This idea that somebody could bring one foodstuff and, and popularize it back in their own country. But, you know, the truth is that when dishes move, evolve, change, it takes centuries, it takes you know, generations, families passing it down from one, one, you know, um, a parent to a child or, you know, from one place or another, things do move. Um, but it takes a lot longer. Um, one of the theories I came across in my journey was that Genghis Khan was responsible for, um, for the, the transmission of, of Asian dumplings, you know, jiaozi in, in China, through Central Asia 
Iran, Turkey in his conquests, all the way to Central a- Central Europe, where they also have a, a very popular dumpling dish called pierogi. You know, that's quite possible that, you know, Genghis Khan having this humongous empire that spanned, that spanned from, you know, Korea and uh, Japan, where they have similar dumplings called mandu and manju. Um, they, that that dish then, you know, sort of morphs its way all the way to, to, uh, Europe. Um, there's the etymological link of mandu, manju, manto. Manto is a steamed bun in Chinese culture. Um, uh, many of the dumplings that I had in Central Asia and Turkey were, were steamed. Um, the dish, they call it manti, manta, um, so, you know, there's, there's an etymological link and a physical link when you, when you see those dishes. What's very interesting is that, you know, the layperson tends to sort of look at China and think of it as a rice eating mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm, yes. Well, that's, that is, uh, I think primarily set by Southern China, actually. Huh. Uh, cause there's a big, uh, this is something I talked about in my first book, Serve the People. There's a big noodle rice divide through China. Northern Chinese primarily, the, their staple is wheat, bread, dumplings, uh, noodles. Always has been? Yeah, for many, many centuries. Um, that has been true. Uh, rice is also eaten quite commonly, but not as commonly as you would in Hong Kong or, you know, anywhere in southern China. Now I live in Chengdu, which is also southern China. And so they are uh, very interested in rice and um, in fact, I was on a flight back from, I, th- I think, Singapore the other day back to Chengdu. It was all Sichuanese people on the plane, and they were only serving noodles, and everybody was very upset that there's no rice. Really? <laughs> yeah, whereas, you know, in northern China, it'd be fine if if you got noodles. I mean, everyone would be happy with noodles, but but the Sichuanese wanted rice. <laughs> So I have to ask then, you know, in the West and in Western health, especially now, there is such this focus on, oh, gluten allergies and celiac disease and this, that and the other. And then, you know, based upon what you're telling me, the Chinese people, the northern Chinese people. I haven't met a northern Chinese person who's gluten free. (laughs) So what what is with this? Please shed some light. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, maybe there are maybe there are gluten free people and and they they just somehow, um, you know, just kind of make their way through all their meals. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, celiac has become very common in, 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 in our cooking school, Black Sesame Kitchen, which is also a private kitchen. Um, um, actually we're, we're quite known for our meals rather than just our cooking classes. Um, we get a lot of clients who are gluten-free, a lot of foreign foreigners visiting or living in, in Beijing who are gluten-free and we have to use, you know, gluten-free soy sauce, gluten-free, um, you know, they can't unfortunately have dumplings or noodles. Um, we don't really have a substitute for that. This <laughs> idea of gluten free, is this a new thing? Obviously, we've been eating, eating wheat based products yeah. for, um, for years. Well, centuries. I think, I mean, I think it, it, you know, it's, it's sort of this onslaught of, of allergies that have been very common in the West. Um, you know, things like nut allergies and how you're not allowed to, uh, you know, bring, you know, peanut butter to schools anymore and, and that kind of thing. I mean, it's people used to tolerate this a little better or, you know, it somehow muddled through. 
but yeah, there there are a lot of gluten free um, Westerners out there, and um, it's unfortunate because they can't really enjoy all the pleasures of noodles and dumplings and breads. We've just entered the year of the horse, and although it's not typically traditional to eat noodles at Chinese New Year. Jerry tells me that it is traditional in southern China to have noodles, very very long ones, at birthdays. When we birth birthday, we eat noodle, long noodles, and make it never cut the noodle, make it looks like long life like this. Oh, I see. the The yeah, length of the noodle signifies yes, long life. Yes. Can you why? Can you tell me about the origin of that? It is just like um, when we eat a noodle, right? We never cut the noodle. That means how long the noodle you can eat, and then okay, make you you feel uh, like a blast to you. Yes, that means the meaning is like long life, and then long noodle. So bear that in mind. Remember not to snip your noodles next time around, because the longer they are, the longer will be the life of the person whose birthday you're celebrating. Happy slurping, and happy year of the horse. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, with a brand new episode of Asian Threads, right here on Radio Three. Threads is sponsored by the Wing Foundation.